0: Let's talk about your next patient.
1: So the next patient is a 74-year-old male, 72 when he was diagnosed, who had presented with progressive back pain that really became very severe. Went to see a orthopedic surgeon who evaluated him and said that he had osteoporosis. That was atypical his presentation, and he needed further workup. He then saw an endocrinologist who. Did some further evaluation and told him that it looked like he had myeloma and he needed to see a hematologist. When he saw me initially, he actually was wheeled into the room in a wheelchair, was very ill, had a lot of pain, and was found to have early renal failure and hypercalcemia. At that point, he was admitted to the hospital. He underwent immediate workup for myeloma, with a bone marrow that he actually needed sedation for as he wasn't able to lie comfortably on the bed. And he was found to have a Kappa light chain myeloma, also with a 1114 translocation by fish. He was started immediately, actually within 24 hours of his presentation on treatment with intravenous bortezomib, cyclophosphamide, and dexamethasone. He was treated for four cycles with a very good partial remission. And then, after discussion with him and his family, who have been also very proactive in his care, we elected to change his cyclophosphamide to lenalidomide at 15 milligrams to try and get him into a stringent remission. And he received that therapy from May of 2012 to November 2012, obtaining a stringent CR. He then underwent an autologous transplantation in December of 2012, and has then been placed post-transplant on maintenance lenalidomide, 10 milligrams, three weeks on, one week off, although currently his treatment has been held for the last six weeks due to thrombocytopenia.
0: How low is the platelet
1: count? His platelets were as low as the low 50s, but they're slowly creeping up to around the mid-70 range currently.
0: And what was his creatinine and calcium when he came in and what happened with the treatment?
1: When he was initially diagnosed, his creatinine was 2.1 and his calcium was 12 uncorrected for his albumin was closer to about 13 when corrected for his albumin. And that's really the reason why I hospitalized him and started his therapy that same day. Do you think he was symptomatic from the hypercalcemia? He was in so much pain from his bone disease that that was really his main symptom and presentation and just looked very, very ill at presentation. And it's amazing to see how he's doing now with, you know, completely functional and walking in and really has been very satisfying for everyone involved in his care.
0: So his pain essentially went away?
1: He still has pain, and we spoke about that quite a lot today in clinic, that he still has pain related to his bone disease because he has, you know, destroyed bone from his myeloma. So he still has pain in his back that's chronic, but he's able to perform most daily functioning. But he is restricted to a little extent from his chronic back pain. Have you thought about or I don't know if it came up, you know, to do anything further
0: for his pain, you know, kyphoplasty or something else like that?
1: I'm going to actually ask Sanga to discuss it because he actually had some good ideas about that.
2: So we talked a little bit about, I think he's seen a couple of spine specialists that were hesitant to do any major procedures, which I think I completely agree with. One area that we did potentially suggest was the use of injections of lidocaine to certain areas that might be responsible for where his pain is coming from. And while it may not be long-term solutions, it may provide him with some intermittent comfort. And if that area is potentially amenable to more permanent nerve treatment like injecting the cement for kyphoplasty or things like that. That's something that could be discussed, but first you just wanna make sure that before you do that, you can actually make him feel better. What are your
0: thoughts about the overall treatment plan, the initial plan when he presented using the Cyborg D and then switching over, bringing in lenalidomide and also the choice of len for maintenance?
2: Yeah, this was an interesting case because I got to bill as a follow-up visit on this one as well, because <laughs> uh, I saw this patient in consult once. Oh, really? As uh, a referral? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I think we were trying to talk him into having a transplant. So Dr. Brenner and I ganged up on him. Uh, so he
0: was resistant way back, or not way back, but when, when, yeah. to transplant? Yeah. What was his objection?
2: You know, I don't remember now. I think he was just, I don't know if it was fear as
1: opposed to the inconvenience and the disruption to his daily life. I think it was a fear issue. And he was 72 and actually closer to 73 probably by the time I came to discuss transplant options. And he just thought that maybe he's had some cardiac issues, mainly with atrial fibrillation. And he just thought that maybe it was a procedure a little bit too risky for him.
0: So you said, would you like to see an expert and get another opinion about the transplant? Yes. And then you sent him the Sagar.
1: We gave him an option of a few places to go see and we settled on Atlanta.
0: And then, so it must've been interesting. Have you seen him since the transplant?
2: No, no, he had his transplant actually down at Tampa for, again, wow. convenience issues. But yeah, this is the first time I'd seen him since then.
0: What was his reaction to seeing you?
2: I think he and his family, I think we're, pleasantly surprised do <laughs> you think they were
0: overall he's happy he made that decision
2: i think so yeah i mean we I think, think so seems, yeah
0: that he got through it and now yeah. now he's doing so well yeah what about the issue of selection of land for maintenance here
2: so I think it's exactly what I would have done. I think his only real high-risk feature at the time of initial presentation was the renal insufficiency that he had, which was likely related to his hypercalcemia, and perhaps that contributed to his being an ISS stage 3. He had 1114 translocation, which, you know, is not a truly benign translocation, but I don't think it puts him in the 17P or 1416 category. So I think lenalidomide is an appropriate way, and The way I talked him into his transplant, I won't say talked him into it, but the way I think I convinced him was showing him the iceberg that you've shown in many... Ideas yeah, of, your famous iceberg. Because right? I think he was really fixated on the idea that if I'm in a complete remission, why do I need to do this? And so, you know, driving to lower levels of disease burden was part of the attraction to a transplant. Did you
0: actually show him that graphic? I drew it.
2: Really? Yeah, I draw, I draw an upside down pyramid. Wow,
1: very <laughs> so. interesting. And then what's your thought about how long you're going to keep the maintenance going. My plan was once hopefully his counts come up to a higher level would be to restart his lenalidomide at a slightly lower dose. And as long as his counts are manageable and he's tolerating it well is to treat him indefinitely until progression.
0: I know that's kind of what I'm hearing from most investigators. Is that what you do?
2: Yes, absolutely. I think in his case, platelets of 50 is a little worrisome. Because as we talked with the patient today, we don't want to end up being limited on therapeutic options three years from now because his counts are so bad. So I think giving him a break to allow his counts to come up and then restarting at a lower dose is a reasonable approach.
0: How often do you see this kind of thrombocytopenia or myelosuppression in general with 10 milligrams of lenalidomide?
2: I'd say we probably see it maybe a quarter of the time. It's not a huge number of people. Most of it usually, if you interrupt early on. You can allow the counts to recover. I mean, there have been patients who've had prolonged cytopenias, even in the context of low-dose lenalidomide maintenance. But I think that's a rare event. This is probably more common. It comes up after a few weeks, and then you make adjustments.
0: It's interesting. You mentioned the issue of the renal failure and hypercalcemia. In general, what's your strategy when you have renal failure that you feel is due to the myeloma? And particularly yeah. with you know worse renal failure, creatinine four or five, et cetera.
2: Right, right. The keys there are speed of response. The quicker you can get these patients to respond, eliminate that light chain burden on the kidneys, the more likely they are to have recovery or even normalization of renal function. I think the VCD regimen that was used here is easy to give in the context of renal insufficiency. We use VTD. With thalidomide, because you don't have to make adjustments in the thalidomide with renal insufficiency as well. And we've had very good results in as well.
0: And, you know, it's interesting because you put an exclamation point when you wrote the write up saying that he got intravenous bortezomib. I think, you know, tied into what you were just saying in terms of speed or response. And again, in what situation? I was mentioning the survey that we did of 100 docs in practice, and, you know, we're seeing wholesale switch over to sub Q right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. But there are situations I've heard people talk about going with IV and renal failure is one of them. Is that on your list too?
2: So we've had a number of patients who are getting VTD presented on dialysis that we've treated with sub-Q and they've reversed just as we would have expected.
0: Hmm. So you, in him, would you have used sub-Q? This was probably before that had
2: really become widespread, but But the, yes. this situation, yes. you're still, you're not. Uh-huh.
0: Any other comments about him, his environment, taking care of him?
1: No, again, he's been very involved in his care all along, very, you know, keeping up to date with what's going on with everything. And it's been very satisfying to see how he presented in my office to how he's doing now, although he's not perfect. He was so ill in the beginning, and now his quality of life is really pretty close to normal, except for, you know, some of his back pain issues.
2: I think it's a great example of how performance status in heme malignancies at diagnosis doesn't always predict long-term outcomes, because he was awfully sick in the beginning.
0: I wonder, too, just sort of globally, whether he would have gone to transplant at age 73, you know, in general, across the country. I don't know. Do you have any
2: thoughts? I think at many centers, I think it would have been considered.
0: If he got to a center, my right. question is, yes. would he have gotten to the center?
2: I see. I think that's a good point. I, mean, I don't I think know, that's know a good if point. in people's
0: mind, you know, particularly people who don't see myeloma that much, they start thinking twice about a referral to transplant when a 73-year-old. At your place, what's the oldest patient you've taken for transplant? 78.
2: And there is an analysis that was presented at ASH either this year or last year from the CIBMTR showing that the benefit from transplant does not go away as patients get older.